jump into the conversation. Okay. Uh, welcome to our third episode of the Truthfully Speaking podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire and encourage Christians by having conversations around topics that are generally considered difficult. After sharing my own struggle with suicide on our Instagram and YouTube, I said I would do my best to find professionals to help me, to help us get to the bottom of this experience, to get to the bottom of the suicide and mental health thing. Today I have the great honor of talking to a great and inspiring woman. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and neuroscience from Latrobe a master's in behavior management from Bond University. She has been named one of the 125 leading women in Queensland. She is the founder and principal consultant of Psych Solutions, which delivers mental health first aid courses that cover a whole range of mental health crisis situations, including suicide. My guest today is the one and only Sharon Orapaling. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I have heard you talk a lot about suicide and and mental health in general, and it's a pleasure to have someone who's as passionate and as as qualified. I must say, I almost ran out of breath <laughs> just reading your <laughs> very short part of your resume. I'm pretty sure if I went on to LinkedIn and tried to read it out, it'd probably take me like ten minutes just to get through um, your accomplishments. Oh, thank you. So, um, let's just jump into it. So, uh, how can we define suicide? How do we define suicide? You know, talking about suicide is um, is often a very challenging um, topic because yeah. not many people want to define what that is. Um, not many people want to know what that is. Um, and also, in many communities, um, it's such a stigma around that topic that people don't talk about it. You know, if you're a Christian, um, you know, if you talk about taking your own life, you know, Jesus didn't take his own life. And, um, you know, God is always there and is able to take you up. So there's a sense of, uh, um, you know, there is a failure if you feel any thoughts of taking your life. But suicide is a conversation we must have. Because a lot of people think about suicide. Um, the explanation of what it means um, in the simplest form is when someone takes their own life. And we try to be careful on how we say and talk about suicide because um, of all of those things that I've talked about, the stigma. But it the language around it is very critical. So you find that normally you hear people saying someone has committed suicide. Um, We try, as professionals in this area, try to encourage people not to use words like committed suicide or successfully died by suicide because there is no success in death by suicide or success in death Overall, um, so the reason why we want to change that language is because in places um, around the world, if someone died by suicide, um, they would not be buried 
in in the same um, space graveyard that other people um, have been buried in because again it's seen as uh, they've committed a sin and how dare they they've done that even in uh, rural places in, in in parts of Africa I've heard that uh, people would take uh, the person who's died by suicide into a traditional court and that body would be whipped uh, as a punishment uh, for for, for, for that person um, taking their own life. Things like that prevent people to speak about those thoughts when they have those thoughts about of taking their own life. Yeah. And we know in suicide prevention that there is prevention. We can come in at the right time when we allow people to say, help, I need help, I am struggling I am thinking about suicide and, and, and we are able to intervene and get them the right support um, that they need. So suicide can be prevented when we allow conversations on thoughts of suicide to be normalized because it's a crisis situation that can pass when you provide the right support to the person. So um, with regards to the taboo and the stigma that is associated with, with suicide um, where did it how did we get to that place is it because uh, society is ashamed or, or to admit their failures I suppose and giving support f- for someone or like what is that taboo why do we stigmatize something that is so prevalent you know it's 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 something that has been around for centuries um, you know uh, it is people would say you have not brought yourself here to this world, so you cannot take yourself out of this world. Um, so, and 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 often look at it as a very selfish act, um, and rather than actually look at it as someone going through things in their life that um, they need support rather than um, looking at it. Because, you know, the more we, we, we increase the taboo around it, the more we increase the shame around it, the stigma around it, people are not going to speak up. And when people are not going to speak up, people will die. It's literally simple as that. People will die unless we take away the shame, we take away the stigma, we allow people to realize, actually, thoughts of suicide are common. You know, there is a difference about um, when somebody gets into a crisis situation um, of really starting to think about the means to start, you know, collecting the things that they want to use and uh, and, and also just really um, get to that really deep place. Um, but some people, once in a while, in fact, most human beings, once in a while, would think about when things are tough, you know, what if I was not here? But it does not mean that that person is actually really one suicidal. <laughs> suicidal, you know what I mean? So, but I must say, here in Australia, one every single day, every one day, every single day of this week, we would have eight people die by suicide. Over a year here in Australia, we have over 3,000 people who died by suicide. And those numbers are incredible numbers. 
You know, if there are more than what we get, people die by car accidents. But we hear about car accidents all the time and people dying by car accidents and sometimes we're not even registering that. But it's almost invisible, invincible that people who are dying every day by suicide and out of that eight people dying every day by suicide, four, I mean six of them are men. Um, so men die incredibly high number uh, of death by suicide are, are males. Uh, so what does that mean? It means that males are literally uh, drowning, drowning, and we're not seeing, we're not hearing, we're not, we're not there. We don't know what to look for. Yes, no, absolutely. Like the, the, I mean, the, like it's always been a wonder. I think I'd heard about that stat before about um, men committing more, committing or dying by suicide more often than. Women, um, is there a particular reason for that? I think there are a lot of things that contribute to those statistics. We know that men just don't talk about feelings. We haven't normalized people to say, I'm feeling so overwhelmed today. I feel sad and I've been sad all these uh, the last few days. I'm really struggling at work. I'm really struggling at home. I've been crying. I haven't been eating well. I haven't been sleeping well. You know, have you heard a man coming to you and having that conversation about how they feel? Not many would have had that conversation with, with males in their lives. or you know. So men generally do not speak about the feelings, uh, especially those emotional feelings. So which means then they bottle it all up. And that pressure cooker, you know, when you all put it all one day, it just becomes too much. It that just becomes too much, but also the means. Um, uh, it's one of the contributing factors. Men are often utilizes the most lethal means um, of taking their own lives, so they die um, in a higher rate um, than women. It does not mean that. I mean, in, fact, in fact, women are four times more likely to attempt suicide um, than males. So, which when you look at it, they're utilizing the means that are not as lethal. Um, so, which provides that opportunity for intervention. So, they might be able to get to the hospital in time and and be saved. Um, whereas the men would utilize um, uh, quite lethal means. But generally. Men do not talk about the, their feelings, and it's something that is so critical that we have to ensure we we have role models. Um, I have a son, you know, I'm raising a, a young man. I want him to be able to say, "Mom, I'm feeling sad today." Um, he might not not necessarily realize what it is that he's you know he's feeling or or what's contributed to that sadness. In fact, most of us when we feel sad, there will be multiple things that contribute to that sadness. So it's only when you speak to someone when you can start to. Uh, you know, analyze this that feeling and, and, and start to figure out where could that be coming from. Mm. And when my son comes to me and says to me, Mommy, I'm sad today, mm. I sit down with I, I'm just not saying it's okay mm. because sometimes when we do that, we take away 
um, you know, the, the, the value of that word sadness. So we, we are devaluing the person's feeling, just saying, it's okay, you got this. Yeah, push okay. it down. It, you know, push, push it up. No. Suck it, it up. Suck it up. <laughs> the person is feeling sad. How long have you been feeling this way? What do you think has been going on in your life? Let's talk about how you are feeling sad. Uh, whereas we normally as human beings, when someone says, I'm feeling like this, we tend to, especially Christians, because we want to, you know, you go and pray, you know, God will got you, you know, got your back. Yes, God got your back all the time. But that does not mean that you don't feel sad yes. at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you don't feel overwhelmed at some point in your life. Yes. That doesn't mean you don't have thoughts of suicide. That doesn't mean you don't feel depressed, yeah. you don't have anxiety, you don't have mental health issues. Um, you know, it is important that we are living this life and this life as we live it, we experience things and that will always impact on our emotional health, yeah. our mental health and well-being at, po- at different points in our lives. Yeah. Um, and it's just part of living, just like in a physical illness. We know we leave, but nobody ever says to you that because you have a heart attack and says, oh, no, you know, why should you have a heart attack? Because God got your back. Yeah, yeah. You know God got your back, but you still had a heart attack. You still had but accident. Exactly. Yeah. You still have that accident. We don't kind of blame that on you mm. when it's a physical illness. Yeah. But when it's a mental health issue or thoughts of suicide, we tend to shift the blame as you are either not strong enough yeah. um, or it's you, uh, there's some you know, deficits in yeah. you that yeah. needs to be taken care of. Um, we have to normalize speaking about suicide. Suicide doesn't also happen on its own vacuum, as I mentioned to you, um, that there'll be lots of things that are ha- going on in people's lives. And one of those things is often people who think of suicide are experiencing depression. Just what's going to be, uh, I guess, one of my next questions as to like, what are the actual risk factors around uh, people who uh, who end up, you know, um, having thoughts of suicide? Yeah. So, um, the the people who experience depression or any other mental health issues um, at a higher risk of uh, thinking about suicide. So, we cannot talk about suicide without talking about. Um, the actual um, mental health, um, the mental illness that often people suffer in silence that then leads to that crisis situation of uh, of suicide. So suicide is a crisis. Mental illness is something that can happen quite over a long period of time. Crisis doesn't often happen, you know, uh, it doesn't take a very, very long time. Um, Often when, you know, it... Like when I say it's a crisis, it can happen within a few weeks when you're feeling like that and something happens and that changes. You don't think about that anymore. Mm-hmm. But you're still feeling depressed. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I you're see, feeling, see. getting, you know, going through all of those things that contributes to depression. Um, so, you know, depression, and I must talk about what it looks like, depression. Yeah. Depression is those thoughts and feelings and behaviors that the person feels like they are just going into a deep, dark hole. You know, um, 
it is literally takes the joy out of life off you. The joy of life off you. So the things you used to like to do, you used to either enjoy talking to your family, your friends, depression robs you away from that. Engaging with your, your work and finding joy in your work and going to, it robs you away from that. Um, your extracurricular activities, you know, if you like sports, you know, you like to do this, it takes that away from, to a point where you are all alone, eating, sleeping, um, and it, you start to feel it so physically that even getting yourself up out of bed is incredibly difficult. Um, your body becomes very heavy. Um, some people have talked about it being feeling like an out-of-body experience, that I'm no longer in control of my body. And when people feel they're no longer in control of their body, they are not connected to friends or family because depression has robbed them away from that. They feel all alone. They start to feel hopeless. They start to think about, why am I here? You know, if I can't go to work and, I, you know, my family don't like me because they don't understand why I'm feeling this way. I don't understand myself why I'm feeling this way. Yeah. You start to then have those thoughts that I don't want to be here. So you just end up start uh, consciously or unconsciously, you start isolating yourself from people sort of thing, which just I imagine exacerbates Absolutely. the situation. Because one of the things that is a protective factor for mental health um, and suicide um, is connections. We're human beings. Our connections to our loved ones is critical to our survival. Um, connections not only to our loved ones, to our, to our pets, to, to something. Connections, things that makes us feel loved, protected, safe, are these, those are things that are quite critical to our, to, to our survival. Uh, and, and to our emotional well-being as well as physical well-being. So when you experience depression um, and those things that takes you away from your safety mm. makes you vulnerable mm. to, to, to a whole lot of things. Mm. Um, and of, that's when you find that people end up taking their own lives. So we must, for the people who are around us, mm. we, are, we can be able to identify when someone starts to go into that abyss, you know, to go into that, uh, that deep, dark hole. If we know, we know them, we identify that something, something is just, something is different, mm. okay? Something is different. We can come in and have a conversation and say to the person, I'm a bit concerned you assume something is going on with you. Are you able to, to to have a chat with me? You know, if you're not ready now, we can, you know, can we schedule some time? I would like to have a conversation with you. Um, is everything okay mm. in, in your life? Sometimes people say, oh, it's, it's all good, because yeah. they don't want to talk to you about the deepest, darkest moments. Mm. And it's because we haven't established that trust between ourselves that even in our families that we can talk about, I am feeling sad. Mm. You know, we can talk about, I've been crying mm. every day. Um, and, it, and you won't judge me, yeah. but you will listen to what I have to say. Yeah. Wow. So to suicide then, um, as a, I guess as a 
as an illness seems does sound like it's a, 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 a I guess an accumulation of different types of uh, issues. Can we say? Um, so, what other issues besides depression can be? I guess um, lead someone into that place of suicide? the crisis. Yes. Um, so many things. Um, racism. You know, we must talk about racism and discrimination and the impact of that on people's view of themselves and 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 and, and their belonging in our world. Yeah. Uh, and often we don't we don't kind of you know talk about that, but it really impacts on people's ability to think. You know, my worth, my value as a human being. Um, when it's questioned and you're made to feel so little um, of you. Um, it's an incredible vulnerability, a risk factor for people taking on their own lives. Um, discrimination in the workplaces, um, you know, family conflicts, uh, relationships, things, I would say risk factors are things that contribute to our poor emotional wealth and or health, okay. you know, are risk factors to, to suicide. Um, but also when there has been a suicide in a family, um, that is a risk factor. If so if your father or mother died by suicide or uncle has died by suicide, um, often you'll find other people within the family taking um, their own lives as, as well. So there would be a history of suicide in the family um, puts that family at a high risk of suicide. Um, Can you expand a bit more about that as far as the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the, bi- the biological mental side of that um, idea that because your your father and your uncles struggled with depression or were suicidal there's a possibility it's a it's a risk factor and we know when it comes to suicide um, we we actually say if there's been a person who died in the family by suicide the best way to prevent another suicide is working with our family and supporting them. We have to recognize the vulnerability, the emotional vulnerability that that family would be on if somebody in the family has died by suicide. Um, and, and, and it's just that somehow, and people have said this, kind of either normalized that fact oh, okay. that suicide has occurred and it can occur again. We've been there before, so it's okay to go through this again. Um, but we know lives can be prevented. Um, and people do not have to die by suicide. We really have to try to prevent suicide because it's possible. Yeah. Um, it is really critical possible. Um, we often know also that 80% of people who die by suicide have experienced depression um, or other mental health con- co- conditions. Okay. They might not necessarily be diagnosed um, because we know people don't actually go and get help, you know, but they would experience clinical depression um, without actually getting the right diagnosis. Um, and, and, you know, as a result, we do have uh, quite a high number of people with mental health conditions who die by suicide. So, if we have an individual who a has has the risk factor because someone in the family might have had suffered from depression or is has lost their life by suicide, how was how do they get help? It's actually uh, acknowledging that that 
has happened and seeking working with a professional okay. um, to get the right help. Um, you know, I've always talked about the traumas that we experience and generational traumas we experience okay. in our families and yeah. and we carry those legacies because we haven't stopped and got um, the, the 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 right help from from uh, you know professionals to to start digging through the regions of all of that trauma. Some traumas we don't actually know, but what we do know is trauma actually biologically impacts and changes our genetics. It has a genetic map. Um, okay. uh, you know, trauma specialists will talk to you about genetic map right. of trauma, um, where it literally changes uh, how we function, our bodies function, um, as a result of the traumas that have happened in the past, or the, you know, the traumas that we experience directly. So, trauma doesn't have to have a direct in terms of you having a car accident, for example, that's a, a trauma that you are experiencing directly. Mm-hmm. But it could be a trauma that has been experienced in the family um, and over years. So that trauma, so we're saying that it can be genetically passed on. You can literally oh, yeah. biologically inherit it the same way that you inherit your eye color. Yeah. You can inherit that same kind of pain. You can inherit that pain, Um, and and you know, and this is a really incredible field that I'm very interested in exploring more. Um, And and my interest in this field is um, because of, uh, especially us as people from African background, uh, where we know a legacy of colonialization. You know, where Africa has been in the past. And, and and the things that our forefathers would have gone through in order for us to even be here today. Uh, and the, 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 those pains, the way those things have changed us, changed our views, that, you know, that things that can be so typical. And we look ourselves and we say, you know, Africans, how could we do this? You know, like we, we, we cannot even understand that we are, the, we are doing something that we know um, consciously that is actually really terrible for us, but we continue to do it. And we say, but why are we following this pattern Mm. of behaviors that are so detrimental to us? But we haven't actually stopped and go and see someone to start peeling off those layers. Let's look at the source. Let's learn about other measures that when that trigger happens... Because those triggers would happen because, you know, your body already has a genetic makeup to recognize the trigger. So when that trigger happens, then I'm armed with strategies Mm -hmm. in order to deal with that. So you get, you really have to rewire, Mm -hmm. work with people to rewire your, your brain to think differently, do differently. Uh, But you first of all have to recognize there has been hurt that has occurred in the past, either through generations. Mm-hmm. The, the, the hurt that you may know of, or the hurt that you may not know of. But until we deal with that hurt, there is no way we will thrive in this world. We will continue to have things dragging us down and, and dragging each other down, and they will. We must heal ourselves. Yeah. So, person A has uh, 
has been, has been struggling with depression uh, and anxiety. What are the steps do they take? Do they do they go straight to a, a, a mental health professional, or do they have to go through a referral system in Australia anyway? Yeah. You see, there were, the good thing with Australia is we have we have a system that exists to support people. Okay. So often when people and I and I say this, people don't have to go to be really unwell to get help. One of the things around mental health is when you start to feel like you're struggling. Doesn't matter whether you think it's a little bit struggle or it's a tiny little may, maybe not too long, maybe the people who are better are probably are going through worse than I now. Nah, it doesn't matter. When you feel you're struggling, you don't have to go necessarily go to your GP immediately. You can call Lifeline and say, I, I'm really feeling really crap today. I'm really not feeling good. I'm feeling really sad. I've been crying today. I don't know what's going on. You could just I just don't know what's going on. A professional at the other end of the telephone would be able to help you come up with words that can describe what's going on for you. Okay, so you can utilize a lot of the helplines that are out there. You get Beyond Blue has a lot of resources uh, just to keep yourself well. Um, but if you're still struggling, you know, it's a week and you're still, it's going bad, really bad to worse, you know, go to your GP. A GP, we trust a GP with every other thing for our physical health. They, for women, GPs will put things in you and 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 look within you. So we trust them with our physical health. We must trust them to say, "I am not feeling okay." Um, talk to your GP. Your GP will put you on the mental health plan, and with the mental health plan, you can access a psychologist. Um, for free, you can get sessions for free, six sessions up to, up to about ten sessions, I think now, uh, per year that are free under Medicare. Um, there are also organizations uh, that are kind of culturally appropriate organizations, uh, such as the World Wellness Group um, that exists here in Brisbane, where you can go and um, engage in meditation. They might do some mindfulness activity. They do acupuncture. They do a whole different things. So you can get a referral to do a whole lot of learn to get some tools that would help you navigate through life. Psychologists would do talk therapy. So often they would talk to you, CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, which, you know, in the simplest form, we call it talk therapy. So they would talk to you about you recognizing that your, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts impact on your feelings, how you feel. If I'm thinking this way, my body will react to what I'm thinking. And I will do my behaviors would be as a result of what I feel and and what I'm thinking. So your thoughts, your feelings, results in what you do. So CBT is really trying to okay. What if we think different? We will feel different and we'll do different. And it seems so simple, but one unless we kind of learn the mechanics of the power we have within ourselves, yeah. um, to to and the power of our thoughts, mm. um, and, and how we can actually manipulate all of that to get a different outcome. So we talked about uh, the, the effects of trauma and uh, 
someone is, has been experiencing feelings of depression and anxiety that they go over to um, you can go see a GP call Lifeline or Beyond Blue um, mm-hmm. are, are there any other kinds of treatment that someone might be yeah you know find themselves in sort of thing? So there might be some, some the GP might also um, give you some medication. Uh, and I have to say that a medication, not everybody is a very big fan of medication. And I see that as part of the stigma, to be honest, um, yeah. that people think, I'm not going to take a medication for anxiety or depression. But immediately they feel a pain in their head. Oh, I have a headache. Oh, give me some Panadol. You know, so... Okay, it's okay to take medication for physical illness, but you don't see that it's okay to take medication for uh, a mental health issue. And, and, and also must say medication for mental health issue is not necessarily the only thing that you would have to do because at the end of the day, there are still um, things, you know, that are contributing to how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, so it is really going back and addressing those things that are putting in and what what is it you know those put it all together what are those things that are contributing to you feeling this way if it's in your work um, environment and you're not feeling like you belong believe me going to your doctor and getting a pill for and going to you know for 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 your depression is not going to cure help with the environment over there yeah. it'll help you stabilize you and make sure that your moods don't go up and down you don't have these really big uh, you, you know varied feelings that impact on you so then you get are at a point where you can perhaps go into your workplace and start having a strategy and going talk to your manager because you're not so feeling so overwhelmed you know, uh, you're no longer crying all the time. So you are able to say um, to your manager, you know, actually, this environment is not good for me because one, two, three, this is what I would like uh, to see happening. Especially if you've been talking to a psychologist, the psychologist will help you come up with some strategies um, to then take on outside to start implementing in your real life. Um, you know, you start be to be able to connect to other helps. You know, other services, your community, your your family. Have you talked to somebody about how you're feeling? Yeah. You know, is your wife, your husband? You know, is there, is there anybody else? Is there a family um, yeah. that you can talk to? So there are many things that we can do. I, you know, I've suffered anxiety for quite a long time, and I think um, anxiety, my anxiety could have been again through the traumas of my childhood and, okay. and, and a whole lot of other things, traumas that I don't know of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've taken medication. I do a whole lot of different things. You know, I love to dance. Dancing gives me that bang of, you know, endorphins that mm-hmm. comes in and makes myself feel good. When I'm feeling completely flat, I recognize you know, I, I do what you call the mood check-ins. So okay. every day I check in with myself. How am I? How am I feeling? Um, when I'm feeling mm, not very good, okay, I take the dogs. We go for a walk. And when I come back, I'm pumped, yes. you know, so I'm feeling better. And I talk to my friends. So I already have strategies mm. every day to keep my mo- emotional health uh, in tune yeah. so that I don't go back into that dark space that I know. Uh, I guess around the topic of suicide, just in general, maybe you can help us, uh, I guess, debunk a couple of things. When mm-hmm. people talk about um, suicide is 
is suicide uh, sorry talking about suicide can be a trigger can you uh, I guess clarify or talk a little bit more about that and the issue of is suicide contagious okay so meaning it can be a trigger if it's happened uh, somewhere else or if you, you you see it or you hear of it so for example so if in this conversation mm-hmm. if someone watched this conversation yeah. that it could be a trigger for someone to um, you know contemplate suicide absolutely and um, and that's that's actually quite true um, and that is the reasons why you would not hear of suicide be talked about uh, without providing people with support lines, um, uh, you know, any support system and, and encouraging them if these topics make you feel overwhelmed, here are the numbers you can call or be, please go and visit your GP. So it can absolutely be a trigger because for other people, they might be feeling exactly how what we've been describing and this resonates with them and then because they are hearing of this they start becoming overwhelmed because it's like you know they, you know people say t- sometimes when i talk about these things and say it's it's like they can see themselves in that mirror um and you know but somebody else saying how they feel um, when they haven't actually talked to anybody, but uh, you know, by yeah. listening yeah. here, they are actually seeing the mirror of themselves, mm-hmm. and that is overwhelming. Um, so it can trigger people to feel a certain emotions. We know that um, uh, identifying locations of suicide also can be triggered to people. Um, uh, so if, if they will be here where you will not hear the reports. In fact, our, our stations, um, media in Australia would not uh, actually um, disclose, you know, the means and, uh, and locations like, det- uh, you know, like real details when someone has died by suicide. That's why often people don't know that eight, eight people per day die by suicide because that is not an information that is out in the public yeah. in case it triggers people um, to feel, you know, who are vulnerable yeah. to, uh, to, to do that. But we do know that by talking about suicide doesn't necessarily put thoughts in somebody's head of suicide. It will be that the person has already been feeling that way. Oh, okay. So okay. our talking about it is not necessarily it saying... make you in, No, absolutely, absolutely doesn't. Okay. Uh, it just means that we are putting words to what people, the person has already been feeling. All oh, right. Yeah, okay. rather than... Um, you know, I'll talk, tell you a little interesting uh, how Botswana did it at one time. There used to be high rates of suicide in Botswana. Yeah. Um, there's still quite high rates of suicide in, in especially in different countries in Africa because we don't collect data around that. Um, so we, it's not necessarily really reflected. But in Botswana, the, the, there was a high rate of suicide through, um, through the where people would take their own lives through the train. So they would go to train track and, 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 and die. And um, there was a, a photographer who decided that a way of uh, actually shocking people to not take their own life was he would go to this scene and take pictures of what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And he did an exhibition. Um, and 
that would never happen here in Australia. But no. we're talking about places that doesn't have media guidelines yeah. uh, and uh, about talking about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, after all of the, all of that, uh, the police did report that they were. Um, they were, as a result of that, public. It, it was hugely publicised in, in in the country that they were um, that not not necessarily the, the rates of suicide that went down um, from other means, but utilising that means of the train was um, was went way down okay. after all of that. So. You know, there is this argument that do you tell people, show them this horrific thing that happens yeah. if you do this, um, but at the end of the day, you're not necessarily addressing the real issues. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. remember, suicide is a crisis. It's a symptom of a whole lot of other things that have been going bad in somebody's life. And then they just want the pain that they feel to go away. Not necessarily that they want to die. The emotional pain, they want that emotional pain to stop. That's the crisis, you know, where, where it's just too much to feel. Um, and sometimes they, to not feel, they don't actually feel. So another crisis that people go through when they're going um, through a really dark depression is what we call non-suicidal self-injury, where people actually cut themselves um, or just to try to make themselves feel. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a behavior that is what <laughs> we call a maladaptive behavior because they are trying to uh, do to make them feel alive uh, when they feel that um, they are not feeling, um, and but they're not thinking about dying, mm. they're just thinking about just coping okay. with the emotional pain. And suicide as a as a contagion. So if someone uh, loses their life by suicide, that it can cause a domino effect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I said it is happening in the family, the likelihood that other people can. And there has been uh, places where you see clusters of suicide. Um, And, you know, and when that happens, of course, um, you know, you have to look back and say, why? Why is what's happening in there? Um, the, The fact is, if people continue to die within within either the family or community or suicide, something is wrong. Remember, this is just the end. Something is wrong there. We need to go back and really say, what's going on? What are are those determinants of this? Where does it start? What is determining this? Um, And really work with people to heal. We work with people to heal. So they can be a domino effect if there is not enough support. You know, there's not enough. In here in Brisbane, when there has been a suicide, I always encourage people. There's an organisation called Stand By. It's a post-vention um, uh, support organisation. So it is there to support people who are bereaved by suicide. It is incredibly, as I say, bereavement support, incredibly important to support people and communities especially in our African communities, when there has been a young person who's died by suicide, 
we must get professional help. We might not necessarily go on and develop um, mental health conditions or, or we may you know, have a trauma that can really impact on us. But to some people who are already vulnerable, that becomes a trigger for a whole lot of other things. So it is important to ensure that people know that support is available. We you know, we bring in a postvention support to help not only the family, the friends, but also in a community way that people are, know that support is available. With regards to the stigma stuff, uh, I'm not sure if we've spoken about this yet, but like just generally speaking, how do we, in, in your perfect world, if you could make a perfect world, how would we get rid of the stigma of suicide? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I have utopian type of <laughs> thinking. Yeah. That is why I do what I do, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I truly believe that I am because we are. I really believe in building a community of uh, people who care in all aspects of life. I, I You know, I would like people to be able, you know, to have open arms when someone is feeling excited and happy to someone feeling sad and alone, um, knowing that, no, I have someone that I can come to and talk to. Um, in our communities, in our, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our churches, in, in everywhere, um, that's the only way we can break the stigma when we talk and normalize talking about feelings, we have to normalize this conversation that you and I are having at this time. Um, it is the only way. It really is the only way. And I'm not saying that people will not feel uh, overwhelmed, will not have mental health conditions, will not have this. But I want to make sure that when you are struggling in life, that you are able, just like you have when you have physical issues um, you're able to say it you're able to get help the right help um, that alone will help all of us be the best we can be while we're here in this world and thrive through this world you know we know that there is no absence of physical illness for us to thrive there's no absence of mental health issues for us to thrive the, you know we know that those things because life happens those things will be there yeah. but we must know what to do how to do it to help us really get the most out of this short time we're here on earth so I believe it comes from um, being quite truthful. And, 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 you know, in African uh, cultures, mostly we've normalized telling people how, how unwell we are in terms of our physical illness. Yeah. How are you? Oh, you know, my back. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. my leg. I tried. Yeah. How can we normalize? How are you? Oh, you know, I've just been feeling... Um, really unwell emotionally i've been crying a lot i've been you know i just feel like i'm worthless i just feel like life is not worth living like just normalize that conversation without somebody going oh wow but you have look at your life 
you know, you had you have nothing to yeah. be feeling like that about. Sort of you know, minimizing yeah, it, so. it was rather minimizing it, and rather than also dismissing it and saying, you know, no, come come on, we can encourage people without minimizing their feelings. We have to 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 recognize and validate and create safe spaces for people to tell us um, how we're feeling without judgment. What can we do if if we know someone has been, like we mentioned earlier on, you've you've got a friend or a family member who you've noticed has their behavior has changed. Um, they've you know started isolating themselves or whatever, um, and even just in the conversations that you've had with them. Or you, you might have already started engaging in that conversation, but you feel like you're not getting anywhere. Um, what what can you do to help someone else? Yeah, you can let them know that um, you know you're there to help if they need they want to talk. Sometimes people take some bit of time to to talk to you. You might recognize uh, there's been things going on and you're concerned, um, but when you bring it up with the person. They just say, I'm all good. Yeah. Don't worry right. about it. I'm just tired. You know. I'm just tired. I not see you there. Nah, nah. I, was, I was busy. Whatever. Yeah. It's okay. All right? Let them know that, hey, um, it's okay. Um, if you ever want to have a conversation, please know that I'm here. And you can always uh, talk to me about what's going on. Uh, make yourself available and be genuine about it, not in a way of the kind of gossip, you know, in, you know, intrusion. You don't want to intrude. I mean, there's always that balance. Um, and it of, again, sometimes it often depends on how trustworthy you are to that person um, uh, for them to actually talk to you about. Or you can say to them, listen, if you don't want to talk to me, that's okay. But, you know, do you have somebody you can talk to in your, in, in your life? You know, is it, do you have a friend uh, that you can talk to? Um, maybe you know it, it, you can have a chat with them. Maybe talk to your pastor if things are going on in your life, and you don't know, you don't understand what's happening. And um, you know, have a have a conversation with your pastor. Um, give people options um, and help, let them help themselves. Yeah. Um, do not keep coming back and pushing because otherwise, the more you do that, the more they push you away. Yeah. yeah. Um, they start they start avoiding you and everything else, and I can tell you, I've you know, being in mental health and 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 working in this space, living within this space for a long time, um, I have had to intervene um, with pe- you know with people that just absolutely refused my help or refuse anybody's help. And it is difficult. Um, it is really difficult. But you can get to a point when somebody gets really un, uh, very unwell, where they actually start becoming danger to themselves and, and others around them. Um, so people can be put into under the Mental Health Act, where they can get, um, you know, treatment involuntary. Yeah. Um, so, and we never want to go to that point. Um, but we do know that majority of uh, people from uh, our backgrounds who are in mental health hospitals are often under the Mental Health Act. It is a, it, it is a true fact because it's, um, people get unwell and either we don't want to talk to them about what we're seeing and what we're concerned about um, or 
you know, they continue to isolate until they get really unwell where the police get called, the ambulance get called, and the person gets taken into a, a mental health facility. So you find that the higher rates of involuntary admissions in our hospitals are way higher for people from our backgrounds. Um, and it's very unfortunate because by that time you are so unwell and when you are so unwell, there's so many other the fractures within your relationship, your work, and recovery becomes such a long road. Yeah. Not that it's not, it's not possible. It is possible, but it is because by that time, it's, it's like a, a leg when it's been a wound that you've been seeing that it's, a, it's starting to get swollen and you don't treat it mm. until it's really drug, put a hole in your bone and yeah. that's when you go to the hospital. Healing is possible, but it will take you longer, okay? So that's the same thing with mental health issues. By the time people go into hospital um, and when they've been really unwell, especially under the, under the Mental Health Act, uh, you know, involuntary um, admissions and involuntary treatment, um, although necessary, um, can be quite traumatic to people yeah. because you are not consenting. Yeah, not <laughs> you know, so it takes. It feels like it takes away your rights, um, yeah. but it is necessary for your for your treatment that you get under there. But it, it is, that's why it's important for people to recognize that they're not going uh, well right at the beginning yeah. to get the help that they need. It might not be mental health issue. It might be just stress, you know, and you need some strategies to cope with that stressful life situations. But it's not a mental illness. It's mm. just, you know, there is a difference there. But if it has been continuing for at least two weeks, that's what your doctor would often ask you, what's been happening in the last two weeks. So you've been consistently feeling and, and having thoughts of suicide consistently for the last two weeks, and you've you've been thinking of means. You've been been an obsessive thought okay. um, because so much is going on in your life. Mm. There is a problem there that needs support. Okay, you need to go and get the help, mm. especially when it's been going on for at least two weeks. Um, you, you mentioned that um, you had. Um at, at some point, you did struggle with um, anxiety. How did you get to that point of actually seeking help, uh, or and and how did you even, I guess, realize like I've got a problem, and this is I have to start, you know, getting help. I had a car accident, and it was um, it was a very big car accident and I had a um, back um, injury as a result of that and being someone who go out you know like I do so many things in community in work and <laughs> private like my my life is often full and all of a sudden that stopped because my physical physically I just couldn't do it you know I literally got to a point where I was sitting in, 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 my, in my chair at home because I was out of work for about six to eight months. So, um, and that, you know, that period having to deal with the physical limitations of what I can, can and cannot do, um, as well as my declining mental health, um, not only with anxiety because it's like, you know, when is this going to be over and how, you know, I literally start feeling overwhelmed. Um, 
Uh, and I remember, and also start thinking of thought. I had thoughts of suicide, and because it's like you know, what what is what is my life yeah. without me being able to do what I do? Yeah. Like I didn't know myself without all that makes me who I am. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've yeah. never had to confront myself without everything else that I think makes me who I am. Okay. Um, so. And and that was um, a turning point in my life where I, I just and I was being treated physically, you know, I was yeah. being treated physically was yeah. fine. Yeah. And I'm recognizing, you know, the overwhelming, overwhelming sadness, the tears, the anger. I had a lot of anger. Was another uh, one of one of the signs where yeah. my husband comes on. I just want to just my child, you know, every, just leave me alone. So here I was isolating myself, even though I needed people the most. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and this yeah. is what I say: it's a sign of mental health issues. Yeah. You, you know, I, you need people, but you don't want them there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, and I was just like, no, this is this is not normal. This is going on longer and longer. Um, even though I was trying to do other things that I had learned to do in my training and uh, different things, but they were not helping. I was just literally going into this very dark hole. So I decided to go to my GP, and um, she looks at me, and I look at her, and she said, how can I help you today? And I just burst out crying. Um, and I said to her, I said, um, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed with life. I can't do this. Um, so she started asking me the questions and, um, uh, you know, did, did did the assessment she needed to do, um, asked me about thoughts of suicide. I said yes. Um, and she then gave me, you know, a script for, uh, for some antidepressants, told me that, you know, my heart score was very high enough to um, have, you know, science, clinical anxiety, depression, PTSD. That's oh, all right. I had. A whole, whole lot of, you know, <laughs> talk about a whole lot of things. Um, anyway, I ended up having to go and see um, a psychologist, um, take my medication. Um, I did a lot of mindfulness training. That was, you know, the most incredible um, breakthrough for me with mindfulness because there was so much that was going on in my head. You know, so much thought, so much. There was I couldn't give myself a break in my own thoughts. Mm. Um, so mindfulness uh, was a practice that allowed me to stop, to literally stop, give myself a break where I could just focus on the wind. I could focus on my breathing. I could focus on, and, and I had to, like any practice, you have to do it over and over again in order to, to start doing it well. Otherwise, you know, like the first time I was trying to do my mindfulness, it was like it, I could still hear myself, yeah, my, hear my voice in my head, you know, everything. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> why is anyone? Why am I stealthy? Why am I? Yeah. Uh, you, but you can imagine when you have anxiety, that's what anxiety is like. It, your mind is racing multiple thoughts um, in your head which impacts on how you feel so and and you physically you know exhausting you know anxiety is the most incredible uh, illness to be honest with you because yeah. it is the most exhausting illness and I had started to avoid I would not drive 
I would find my friends to drive me to places, you know, and I, I ended up, you know. So it actually, you, you know, this is where I said your thoughts, your feelings changes your behavior. And I will do things to avoid confronting driving because if I'm driving and I see someone red lights coming um somebody's putting on a brakes or already i'm like oh my god i go straight back yeah to the time i've the had accident, it yeah. during the accident so rather than driving i would avoid doing it if i somebody drives me i'm also very the whole time i'm yeah, sitting on the edge yeah. um and I'm, it actually i avoided driving for almost over a year after the accident <laughs> and again until my doctor said recognize how's your driving going and I was like, oh, my God. And I had not even realized that in order to protect myself, I had put these things in place to avoid confronting the situations that are causing my anxiety. And, and again, I had to go back and work on myself. So it's really, I mean, I, I will tell you, I'm, it's not, my anxiety is not over. You know, my anxiety continues. I, I'm just learning to live with my anxiety, I've recognized that I'm prone to that, um, and and uh, things do trigger me, um, and I just put things in place to manage it. Um, and if I can't manage it myself, and it becomes overwhelming, then I know that I can go and get the help I need to help me manage um, that feeling. So then, you know, and I'm okay to tell people I live with anxiety. It's okay to say, oh, my anxiety at the moment. You know, I tell my family, my husband, my child, they know when it's up and they can tell it because you can, you can really feel like you're walking in eggshells. Yeah, uh, everything triggers you. You know, your yeah. child says, this, oh, no. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. what was that? Yeah. You know, where does that come from? Yeah. Why am I treating this person this way? Why, why am I reacting this way? What's going on? So I check in on myself. And I've allowed them around me to say, hey, when you recognize this, you know what it looks like. Can you say, hey, what's happening? So my husband is able to do that with me. Even my son, who's 11 years old, um, uh, is able to do that with me because he knows in our household... Um, it's a stigma-free household. We will talk about anything and everything that impacts on us, whether mentally or physically. Thank you for sharing that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think um, on that note, it is always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. And, uh, I know it's a great effort for you to be here, considering what your week is like. Take the time to come out. It's really, it's really a great honor. So thank you very much. I believe in this conversation, and um, like I say, I live in a in a Chopin way of thinking that things can be okay, and we can create our own realities. So, by confronting things that um, the barriers to our success, the barriers to living fully, um, I want us to really experience this life in the way that we are meant to experience it so by by holding on to the things that uh, can help us through uh, and not being shameful about um, you know seeking the help we need um, is is what will make us um, thrive so thank you and uh, for allowing me to share thank you very much